1: I had Sam Howell Reagan as my number one quarterback in last year's draft. I had him in front of Pickett, in front of Willis, in front of all those guys. I thought people were really overlooking what Sam Howell had done over his entirety at the University of North Carolina.
0: It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. But it's not just any. Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Monster Monday Presented, of course, by DraftKings. I am Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Five teams, seven years. Now I got a bunch of media gigs and a bunch of podcasts, including this one, which in the offseason is three times a week. Usually Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, but we can change that up a little bit from time to time. Mondays we also do the college draft podcast, where we're not only talking about Emory's thoughts on the big Carolina Panthers trade, but also his running back rankings. And that's Emery's expertise as a former division one running back. So looking forward to talking with Emory about his running back rankings on the college draft tomorrow on the even money betting podcast with Steve Fezik, we'll get his thoughts on some of the NFL movement, some of these big NFL trades I'm about to talk about, but also March madness. Steve will tell you what bets to make, what bets not to make, how you should fill out your bracket. Very much looking forward to that. And then on Fantasy Feast on Wednesday, by Wednesday, we'll have had a lot of reports about which players are going to be signing with who. Remember they're not allowed to actually sign till Wednesday, but they can start to negotiate starting at midnight. I'm sorry, at noon today, they can start to negotiate. So, Some of those reports will start to come out before you know it. It's a new week, which means we'll have a new Spread the Word winner via social media. This one's pretty easy, actually. It's Ross Tucker Pod on Facebook. And write a review. I'll just go and I'll pick somebody that writes a review of the Ross Tucker Pod Facebook page. It's pretty easy. Sponsor confirmation email winner. Love those of you who take advantage of any of the sponsors you can see on the sponsor page over at RossTucker.com. And then the YouTube shout-out very cool. I record a personalized video on my phone and email it to you so that you have it. I email you the iCloud link or whatever, and it's a shout-out. Like, it's a personal video to whoever you want. it. People pay for those things on Cameo. You get it for free. Uh, two other things real quick. Number one, today on the big show... We're going to have Sean King. And what's interesting about Sean is um, there's a lot. But he and I ended up having a long conversation. So we ended up breaking it up into two parts. This is actually part two. Part one, we ended up talking a lot about his career and about his coaching. Which, you know, he coached for a number of years, which I thought was really interesting. But that's something that's not as time sensitive. So we'll use that. You know, sometime in the offseason, sometime in the summer or something. Um, But I was loving the fact that the second part is when we got into Sam Howell and Russell Wilson and some of his opinions on some of the current things going on in the NFL. So I think you'll really enjoy that. Um, My conversation with Sean King, the former longtime NFL quarterback, has a lot of the records for being a rookie, getting to the NFC Championship game, youngest of all time. The other thing is, those of you that check me out on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I think you saw that I had a long weekend out in uh, Vail, Colorado with my high school friends. Man, we hadn't done that in five years, go skiing like that. A couple years ago, we went to Charleston, South Carolina for a weekend, which was phenomenal. But highly, highly recommend. If you get a chance to get together with your high school friends like that, I know it's rare. I know it's hard, especially as you get older and you're married and kids and you live all over the place. It is just so good for the soul to just be around that group and tell stories and laugh, and it was it was fantastic. And now I'm back, baby, and it's Big Show time. The Big Show. I, I do have to ask you one or two football questions. Russell Wilson, okay? Mm-hmm. You know? You guys have similar height, similar movement skills. Is he is he salvageable from what you saw last year? Like, can he be get back to being a top five guy, top 10 guy, top 15 maybe, or is he just kind of cooked? Instead of let Russ cook is Russ cooked?
1: Well, a couple of things. First of all, I got time today, if you got it. Uh secondly, uh, I had Sam Howell rated as my number one quarterback in last year's draft. I had him in front of Pickett, in front of Willis, in front of all those guys. I thought people were really overlooking what Sam Howell had done over his entirety at the University of North Carolina. And I thought uh, Ron Rivera and the Commander's organization made a mi- big misstep when Carson Wentz, because I didn't think they should have signed him at first. But once they they, they traded for him and signed him or whatever, they had to play him. But when he got hurt, they should have gone to Sam Howell then and gave Sam a whole almost half a year to, you know, to play and, you know, kind of fill himself out. Now, going to Taylor Heineken, no offense to Taylor Heineken, you know, I love buying the Jordans and the colors of the team they just beat after every win. Like, he seems like a neat guy. But they had had a whole year of him the year previous and had decided that he wasn't the guy for them moving forward. So then why not go to Sam Howell? Like, I think a lot of times organizations make huge missteps, you know, when it comes to how to handle the quarterback position. You saw Sam. We didn't light it up statistically, but if you watch the game, he played really well late in the season when he got his opportunity. So I've spoken to Eric Bienemy and told him how I feel about Sam Howell. I mean, he's fired up. I'm going to get the opportunity to work with, with the former quarterback. Uh, on to Russ Wilson. You know, I would be shocked if Russ doesn't have a full bounce back. I mean, when you look at his resume, this is really the only outlier season. And I think it has more to do with Ron. So he became off the field. It started to spill into his on the field uh, production and you know association breeds assimilation whatever you hang around you take on the characteristics and attributes of that environment so when we look at entertainment and by I mean music or, or acting like the stars in those genres have a lot of quirks like they also have a lot of support they got a makeup person and a driver and they got security and they're used to having all these people around them almost incub- like an incubation like zone almost and Russ came back from that environment, got a new job with Denver, and tried to become what? Uh, An artist. Like now all of a sudden he's got to have like, you know, a certain amount of parking spots in his own office and his own quarterback coach. And I think he got a little carried away because of the environment he was in. And that's normal in, in that other environment. It's not normal or will it be accepted in a sport? that's based on physicality like football. So I do anticipate a huge bounce back because I don't think it was a drop-off from talent. I think it was a unnecessary change in approach that now in the rearview mirror, he sees the missteps in his ways, And he's got one of the best game day play callers that we've ever seen in the game of football in Sean Payton. And I think, you know, I would not be surprised if he has a Pro Bowl caliber season next year.
0: So two things on that. One, and you said you had time, so I'm 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 got I'm, I'm using it. Um, so, number one, I feel like, and maybe this is just because his quarterback was Drew Brees, and maybe he showed he can change it up with Taysom Hill or other guys. But when I think Sean Payton, I think like ball out, ball out, ball out, and I think a quarterback running his offense precisely. When I think Russell Wilson. I think, like, running around back there like Fran Tarkenton, and somehow he was athletic enough that the D lineman couldn't even touch him a bunch of times. And, Sean, he's just a little bit less explosive. And that little bit, as you know, is the difference. I always tell people, you know, I started 25 games uh, my second, third, and fourth year, played in 40, then I had a back surgery. And I was always like a little bit stiffer, a little bit less explosive after my back surgery. And here's the problem. I was average at best before the back surgery in those categories. So now I'm a little bit below average in those categories. I hung around for three more years, never started another game. Uh, and and like that little bit's the difference. So, I guess it's a two-part question, which they tell you not to do, but whatever. Question one is, how does Peyton call the offense with the Russell? In other words, does Peyton call it differently because he has Russ? Or does Russ adapt and become a Breeze-like point guard? And that's number one. Then number two, I'll ask you after number one. Do number one first. <clears throat> so I think this is uh, where you have to give credit to Sean Payton.
1: I think he's in that same vein as Andy Reid. Kyle Shanahan, look at the success San Francisco has had. It hadn't mattered. If it was Garoppolo, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, it didn't matter. Like, Shanahan's calling the plays. You know, they've been really good. Andy Reid, people forget he had a whole bunch of success there in Kansas City with Alex Smith, you know, but they couldn't quite get over the hump. Then you get a, a mercurial talent like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who's a once-in-a-generation, and they won the championship. Sean Payton in New Orleans. Super productive offense, it didn't matter if Reggie Bush was in the backfield or Darren Sproles or Mark Ingram or Alvin Kamara, always made it work. You look at receiver Marcus Colston to to Mike Smith to now. Uh, I mean, it did not matter. The pieces, the faces during that period that Drees was, uh, Breeze was there, they all changed. But they still were extremely successful. Uh, there isn't a throw that Drew can make that Russ can't make. And uh, diminish Russ athletically is still – 10x Drew athletically. So, I mean, if you're just talking about the pure talent, you know, Russ has more of it. Now, Drew had elite preparation. He had an unbelievable uh, consistency of being able to be calm when everything around him was chaotic. Uh, I think he was a little ahead of the game as far as the support avenues he used to keep himself as fresh as possible. I mean, he was in the yoga and stretching. And, and all kind of extra stuff way before most NFL players had gotten into it. I remember meeting Drew, and uh, at a golf event. I want to say this was around 2002, and he was already talking about he had a nutritionist, and, and he had somebody that pre-prepared his meals. And you know, he was talking about the sugar intake, and you know, he, he the amount of carbohydrates that he consumed in the off season. So, I think he was ahead of the game, and that's why he had the longevity that he had. You know, Russ seems to be. You know, as focused, you know, on those things as Drew, I think this is an opportunity for him to kind of reestablish, you know, the Hall of Fame candidacy. Because, I mean, before last year, we probably were looking at and you correct me if I'm wrong, as a definite Hall of Fame finalist. You know, and if he went to Denver and did what they anticipated, you know, you're probably talking about an early entry into the Hall of Fame. So his, all of that was derailed last year, Russell. This is a I got to get my legacy back in order year for him. So I think he's definitely going to bounce back. And I think he's going to make people forget last year. You think Deshaun Watson bounces back? Uh, If he starts uh, utilizing the gifts that God gave him. You know, when I watch Deshaun Watson, I think he tries too hard, Ross, to prove to people he's a pocket quarterback. You know, when he has ability and talents that, you know, guys that only sit in the pocket wish they had. Like, when you watch Deshaun Watson play, he should it should look just like when you watch Josh Allen play because physically they're very similar, the same ability. Like, he has to get back to utilizing his athleticism, <clears throat> excuse me, to help that Browns offense be successful. If he does that, he'll be fine. Uh, if he doesn't, then I think he's going to continue to struggle.
0: Um, that is interesting. Really interesting. Do you think the layoff is what hurt him? Well, I mean, that played a role in it. I mean, um that's a hard league, you know, when you get
1: every rep. It's a super hard league when you get none of them for two years, so that played a role in it, but again, he's, like, if you're just talking pure talent, I mean, he's top three, five in the NFL. I mean, forget what they're able to do on Sundays. If we're just going, how tall are they? How fast are they? How far can they throw it? How hard can they throw it? How high can they jump? I mean, it's not a lot of guys in the NFL that are more blessed than Deshaun. I mean, because he can do all of those things. And I think what we saw in Houston was him being comfortable in who he was. You know, he came back, and it's a small sample size, but I thought he was trying too hard to be something else. And uh, hopefully he gets back to being Deshaun next year.
0: Let's say that Jonathan Gannon hired you as the quarterback coach the Arizona Cardinals. And again, I feel like every time there's a quarterback that's like six foot or whatever, I always think of you because you were like a real outlier back then, man. Like late 90s, everybody's like, "What is the are the Bucs doing with this little quarterback? <laughs> Nobody, now, college football, they're all your height. Nobody right. cares anymore. You know, but back then it was like you had to be 6'3", and you were like the outlier. Now, Kyler Murray, I don't even know how tall he is, but if you were the quarterback coach there <clears> – <throat> What would you tell him?
1: Well, first thing I'd do is tell Coach Gannon, you can find me if after year three he hadn't been in, he hadn't made a Pro Bowl and we aren't in the playoffs because Kyler's fixable. You know, he's fixable. The problem was, you know, <clears throat> they gave all of this power and control to a mercurial talent that still had a lot of immaturity. And Cliff Kingsbury uh, – guy that I think a lot of people like as a person but I don't think a lot of people supported the Cardinals decision to hire him in the first place based on what his resume and record was as a head coach so he wasn't strong enough to really go and handle Kyler without the support of the organization and I don't think he ever had the full support of the organization as far as can I really discipline Kyler and I think that's what coach Gannon is going to have to establish right from the get-go hey we got to do things a certain way. I know you're capable of doing them that way. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And if you do things right, then guess what? We're going to have a long relationship. If you don't do things right, then guess what? I'm going to ask to move in a different direction. And if Arizona really wants to ever fix Kyler, then that's the approach you have to take. And he has to be willing to have real bite behind those words.
0: Wow. And uh, that that's interesting. Man, he's got a lot of ability. He does. He's super talented. I, I'm convinced there's never been a human being whose feet move as fast as his. And I know he's not the fastest quarterback, because he got like the Fred Flintstone thing going there a little bit, but there's no way anybody's feet have ever moved faster than him. it's unbelievable.
1: Right. And you know, one thing that I would work on him with, the first thing I would want to watch of him is a body language cut up. I was like, Horrible. this doesn't take yeah, this Horrible. doesn't take any talent, caliber. but this is what you look like. And this may not be how you're actually feeling, but this is what everyone sees. And what everyone sees, they're going to take as truth. So we can easily fix this. And then I would film him in practice. You know, the thing about the NFL, they have enough money, they got enough people, you know, whatever as a position coach you ask them to film, they can film. I would film him in practice. What do you look like running from drill to drill, Colin? What do we look like after incompletion? What do we look like after a touchdown? Like, and then let's compare it to the all-time greats. Let's go look at some of the other guys, some of your peers, and see how they handle success and failure. And then let's figure out, when we come back from this knee injury, how to make people completely forget the narrative that existed about you. Because that's what my whole approach with him would be about. Hey, we got to push pause. Like, not because of something we wanted, but you're hurt. So now we got a chance to get right. And we don't have to do it in front of the cameras. We can get right so the next time we are in front of the cameras, we're what we
0: want to be. Why does body language matter? Well, because everybody's feeding off of you.
1: And uh, it also, you know, goes directly to accountability. You know, a lot of times, little people are seeking comfort when things go wrong. You know, one of the things I would do with with, with Quentin and, and, you know, with every quarterback, because I've had a lot of them, 707, different things. If they make a mistake, don't come to the sideline talking to me about what you thought, this coverage, and that, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You control all of this, because listen, the last hand that ball ever leaves is yours. So first of all, don't let somebody else's mistake become your problem. Secondly, see a little, see a lot. See a lot, see a little, Ross. We can't read everything in year one together. Let's pick out something small. Let's focus on it. Let's utilize it. And then remember this, a great throw uh, beats a bad decision a whole lot of times. When we throw that football, the only person in the, only people in the entire stadium are you and who you're throwing the ball to. And then we're going to grow from there. We're going to develop from there. Like, no excuses, no explanations. Hey, you can never go broke taking a profit. Like, these are things they're going to hit every day. Like, ball location, ball location, ball location. I used to grade every throw in practice. He got a, a decision grade. He got a was it completed grade. But He also got a ball location grade. So it might be one of those situations, 707, where he went 14 and 17, but Five of them was miraculous throws. And so that ball location percentage is going to reflect that. Because I don't want guys to get comfortable. We got the back open in the flat. You throw the ball, you know, with his back hip. He got to turn around to catch it and he falls down. Like that ball should be front, side, sideline, shoulder. You know, we're throwing outbreaking routes, Ross. We never miss inside. You know, I'm, I'm on that all the time because those are the little habits that people don't see that win football games.
0: Did you know this? stuff when you were a player or is this stuff that you kind of wish somebody had told you and maybe your career could have been even longer or better
1: well I I think I never got the chance to really grow a lot of people don't know this but I mean we changed offensive coordinators my first four years in Tampa I had Mike Shula in year one I had Les Steckle in year two I had Clyde Christensen in year three and then we had John Gruden in year four so my first four years in the NFL, that entire offseason was learning a new system. I never got to go into year two with any of those guys. And to me, that's where you really grow. When you can yep. sit down and watch yourself cut up and, you know, kind of, okay, big picture wise, okay, this is what we're trying to get accomplished. We called this past 32 times this year. This is all the cut ups. Let's talk. You know, I never got to do that because we were always, you know, changing coordinators. So now when I get the opportunity to coach quarterbacks, I understand that aspect of it and, and I utilize it to my advantage. You know, I got to create a guy that can be calm in it's chaotic. And everything I do is to create muscle memory so that when they get in the game, they're not thinking about certain things because it's second nature. Like when we throw deep balls, 100% of them are overthrown. I mean, 100% of them are thrown out of bounds or overthrown or incomplete. Like you're going to hear me say that. Like we can't miss deep shots, right? Like, we can't go broke taking a profit. If you push that ball into triple coverage and the check down is right there on first and 10, come on, let's be smart, right? It's about game management. It's about understanding situational football. Hey, we're backed up when a two-minute, you know, drive right before the half, but it's only 36 seconds and it's first down. And, you know, the right tackle, you know, gets beat. Throw the ball away. Don't take the sack. Like, instead of trying to be He-Man right there, the right tackle, he steps on. the guy beats him, throw the ball away. Get us a second and 10. You know, instead of taking a sack and now we gotta burn a timeout, now we're in second and sixteen or seventeen and, and it looks real bleak, like just little things, you know, making those, you know, the priority, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on those things day in and day out.
0: I'm gonna let you go. I just wanted to tell you um, the whole thing, that's why Hertz was so good this year. It was his first time since high school. He was in the same offense two years in a row. Never had it in college, never had it in the NFL. And it made a huge difference, obviously. And then I had nine O-line coaches the NFL. And I don't think I would have been like a Pro Bowl or anything. But I am curious, like, how I would have been if I just had one O-line coach in one system and, like, just let me try to master that. I mean, I don't know how good I would have been, but I would have been better than switching my technique every year. That's for sure. And the big thing with me is I would have had somebody in my corner you know, the tough thing for me
1: was we kept switching coordinators. So then when they're in those personnel meetings, I mean, <laughs> nobody's really in there that can, you know, back you up. Because, I mean, we were changing quarterback coaches as well. I would say this, Peyton Manning was going to be a Hall of Famer probably nowhere, no matter where he went or, 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 or where he was drafted. But a part of his greatness is the fact that he had Tom Moore and Howard Mudd like the first decade plus in Indianapolis. Yeah. And for a quarterback, man, that's how you get to level, you know, six, seven, and eight of a system is you stay in that system. So, uh, I I mean, Indy showed, you know, how to develop a a young quarterback into a great one, and stability is a big part of it.
0: Check him out on social media, at real Sean King, S-H-A-U-N King. Don't follow the other Sean King, at real (laughs) Sean King. And check out his show, Veasan Live, six to nine p.m. Eastern Time. Outstanding on V Actually, what's the name of the show? Prime Time. Yep. Prime Time. Uh, Live. Prime Time. Love it, yep, so- Sean. I'm 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 disappointed I didn't run into you at the Super Bowl, but I heard you on a radio interview later in the week when I was back here. I was like, I got to talk to that guy. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks
1: for having me, Ross. Good luck with everything, man. You're always doing a great job. You know that.
0: Thank you. Love talking with Sean King. Very interesting what he said about Sam Howell. Big Sam Howell guy. We'll see if the, if the commanders are as well or if they try to make a move for Lamar Jackson. It'd be interesting. You know what else is interesting? That some of you still don't drink Labatt Blue Light. How is that possible? You know, with the NCAA tournament coming up this week, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we.
2: All right, Ross, we'll start with probably the biggest news from this past weekend. The Panthers, they trade a lot to the Chicago Bears for the number one overall pick, including the ninth pick, their second round pick this year, a 2024 first and a 2024 second, and wide receiver DJ Moore. And the preliminary report suggests they're targeting CJ Stroud.
0: I was reading Peter King this morning, and he sort of intimated that the Panthers don't necessarily know who they're going to draft which doesn't make sense to me, right? Like, you wouldn't give up that much unless you really liked one of these guys and had conviction about him. So, all these reports about they're not sure, they might even be willing to trade back, comical. Comical. I mean, they're not doing that. You don't give up this much unless there's a guy you love and you know you're going to get him, period. Uh, Love this trade for the Bears, there is no question. That's a lot. I mean, they probably moved down a little bit further than they wanted to, from one to nine, but I think they made up for it by getting a second rounder, first and second round picks, and getting an accomplished receiver for Justin Fields. And DJ Moore, because how else do you upgrade the receiving core? It's not a great draft for receivers, not a great free agency. So I think the Panthers kind of got the best receiver that was available, and he's somewhat affordable compared to what some of these other receivers are getting. So uh, very, very seismic trade in the NFL, and it's interesting that it went went down this early, you know. Uh, but I, I think the Panthers before free agency wanted clarity on their situation, which makes perfect sense to me.
2: Duck Stakes. Another big trade, the Los Angeles Rams trade Jalen Ramsey to the Miami Dolphins for a third-round pick and tight end Hunter Long.
0: Well, the Rams are in an interesting spot now because they say that Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford are building blocks on the rebuild that they're going through here. But I don't know how long of a rebuild it's going to be. And how well will those guys all still be playing at that point? This has got to be frustrating and a little bit disheartening if you're Donald and cup and Stafford, because you're seeing some good players heading out the door and you have to realize, boy, we're not really going to be contenders this year. That's tough. That, that's a tough way to go into a season. And as for the Dolphins, they are in an aggressive mentality. You know, I guess Ramsey wanted to go to the Dolphins, so that helps. They were able to lock up. You know, he was able to get the next two years of his contract guaranteed, which is good for him. Although for the Dolphins, it's not like they're paying through the nose. It's actually somewhat affordable just the last two years of his salary now that the Rams gave him so much of the money, you know, up front already.
2: Tux takes the commanders give Ron Payne a four year ninety million dollar contract of sixty million of that guaranteed
0: well, he was you know on the franchise tag, and so I think a lot of people thought he'd play the one year nineteen million dollars, but instead ninety million dollars over four years, so well more than he would have gotten from just the franchise tag. I mean, what is that? $22.5 million a year? That is remarkable. That's awesome. Good for him. Uh, He's a fantastic player. Had a really, really good year. I think he gets a lot of money in these first two years. The Commanders, what they get is they know that they got him for four years now. uh, An important player at a premium position. And they also free up some, some cap space this year by not having him just one year, 19 million on the cap.
2: Takes. Going back to Miami, the Dolphins pick up Tua's fifth-year option of $23.2 million guaranteed in 2024.
0: That's interesting as well. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder, I guess, Jack, if they would have done this without the giants recently having the daniel jones situation right i i, I almost think the the dolphins were like well we don't want him to go out and have a good year and then we have to give him a huge deal and we don't have that that year on the books still at 23.2 because it cost the giants a lot of money a lot of money and so um that is not good clearly um the flip side is with his injury history and with the concussions, I mean, to go ahead and guarantee $23 million in 2024. Uh, but I think that they thought the it was worth the risk, right? Good. Got to be a good feeling for Tua to know one way or the other is getting $23 million in 2024. Cause I'm sure he was a little bit worried about that. And I know he wants a long-term deal, but at least he has that, you know, after those, two or three concussions last year.
2: takes. The Falcons re-signed defensive end Lorenzo Carter to a two-year deal. The Niners re sign offensive lineman Colt McKivitz. Texans signed wide receiver Robert Woods. Saints bring in tight end Juwan Johnson. The Buffalo Bills give linebacker Matt Milano a two-year extension, and the Jets and Quincy Williams to a three-year contract.
0: So, by the way, I mean, like, Probably do the next show Wednesday. Another one Thursday. There's going to be a lot of news. You need to be watching or listening to this show because there's going to be a lot of things coming down the pike. Um, the things that interest me there, Quincy Williams is the brother of Quinn and Williams, so obviously uh, Quinn and Williams is in line for a huge contract, and they got the brother done first. Maybe they, you know. And by the way, I love the way Quincy Williams plays. That guy is physical and plays for keeps. Matt Milano with the two year extension is interesting. I think it freed up some cap space. But also I think the Bills want to make sure they have at least one of their linebackers, you know, for the for the long term because they might be losing Tremaine Edmonds here pretty soon in free agency, with him having a lot of interest. The other one that jumped out to me is just the Niners re signing O lineman Colton McKivitz. I think they realize they're going to be losing Mike McGlinchey. And so they want to have an option at right tackle under contract for years. There's always a reason why these teams sign some of these players, like the Milano, the McKivitts. They're looking ahead.
2: takes The Houston Texans lose a fifth-round pick and are fined $175,000 for Deshaun Watson's salary cap violation.
0: Yeah, it's a weird one. I, I don't really understand it all that much, but it's obviously a bad look for the Texans franchise. It has something to do with paying while he was suspended, you know, paying for, for something that, you know, some type of treatment or whatever he was getting or um, his training, which, you know, you're not allowed to pay for extra ancillary stuff, especially when he's suspended. Interesting.
2: Duck stakes. Flake Kings outside linebacker Zadarius Smith requests his release while the Eagles give cornerback Darius Slay permission to seek a trade. It
0: doesn't seem like Zadarius Smith is ever happy with the team that he's actually on, does it? I, I guess he just is looking for more money again. The Slay uh, discussion is really interesting because the Eagles need to figure that out. So does Darius Slay. He doesn't have any more guaranteed money left. So I think he would like a new deal which I don't blame him. You know, he's played well the last couple of years and wants a new deal. But if you're the Eagles, you know, you got to make sure you're doing it the right way. Um, and and he's getting up there in years. So they're going to pay him what they think is the proper amount. And this, him being able to seek a trade, ha- gives them a better idea to have an idea for what the market would be out there for Darius Slay.
2: Tuck Stakes. The Jacksonville Jaguars cut cornerback Shaq Griffin. The Seahawks cut offensive guard Gabe Jackson. And the Vikings are set to release wide receiver Adam Thielen, while the Titans are set to cut center Ben Jones.
0: Man, this just goes to show you, it really is a business. I mean, we know this, but like the Vikings, that organization loves Adam Thielen. Nine years, he was awesome there. So that's tough for them. To, uh to release him and I saw where his I think it was his wife posted about lack of opportunities never never a good scene when when um when someone gets released obviously he's from there they don't want you know they wanted him to be able to finish his career there. unfortunately that's just not the reality for most guys in the NFL and then the Titans cutting Ben Jones. Man, how about that video from this season? Vrabel saying, Never seen anything like it. But they need to have cap space somewhere, and this is a place they could do it. It's a it is a cutthroat business.
2: Tuck takes. The trade news everybody was waiting for out of New York. The Jets move a seventh round pick for safety Chuck Clark, while they also cut wide receiver Braxton Berrios.
0: We should have Aaron Rodgers news. Very, very shortly, by the way. I think it's interesting that he went out of his way to say that there's an important timeline and he wants to, you know, doesn't want to leave the Packers in a bad spot. That They're officially, unless he's already told them that he's willing to play for the Jets and they're just trying to work out the trade compensation between the Jets and the Packers that they haven't yet or the finances involved. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why this isn't done yet. You know, now he's kind of putting the Packers in a bad spot unless they kind of already know behind the scenes what's going to happen because they got to figure out how much salary cap space they have and what that what that what that looks like. As for the Jets trading for Chuck Clark, I like it. You know, the Ravens kind of have a couple safeties already and Chuck Clark is good. I think he's an upgrade for the Jets.
2: Duck Stakes. Compensatory picks for the 2023 NFL Draft include seven for the San Francisco 49ers and four for the Los Angeles Rams.
0: Seven is nuts. Now, part of that is because of, you know, some of the uh, minority hires for the Niners that have gone elsewhere. Rand Carthon to the Titans as a GM, uh, D'Amico Ryans. To the Texans as a head coach, that helps. If you have, if you lose a minority who gets either the head coaching job or a GM job, you get a compensatory pick for that. So the logic is incentivizing teams to um, hire minorities for lower positions and move them up through the organization. It's really, I think, a good way to go about it. And so and the Rams have a bunch of picks as well. Other than that, wow, that was a big that was a big episode there. A lot to get to because there was a lot that had happened. Wednesday there will be even more. Wednesday, I might not even need a guest, I might just be going through all the moves. I don't know. Shout outs to Pizza Boy Brewing, Sporticulture, Humanheadnyc.com, SteakhouseSports.com, Go Bangles.com, Evergreen Economics backofficescheduler.com, and myfrontpagestory.com. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.